All right, welcome back to the Content Swap Podcast. You are joined by Parker and... Aaliyah. And if this is your first time listening to the Content Swap Podcast, this is a podcast in which the two of us exchange a little piece of content at the end of each week, and then we engage with that content over the course of the week, and then at the end of the week... (laughs) (laughs) Week, weeky, week. Yep, week, 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 week. Um... (laughs) That is when we talk about it, and that's what we're here to do today. So we're going to talk about two pieces of content today, and then at the end of the episode, we're going to assign the next piece of content. Yeah. Sounds like so much fun. Yep. Yep. Uh, so anything you would like to update the audience on before we dive into this week's assignments? Mm, no. I don't think so. All right, moving on. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, nothing? Not that I can think of. How's the crocheting going? Crocheting's good. I've slowed down, I've slowed down a little bit because I was waiting for yarn to come in, and then it was the wrong yarn, and so then I had to pick up yarn today. Um, so hoping, hoping to crochet a dress. A whole dress. A whole dress. I'm working on a tote bag. I'm still finishing that tote bag, but I'm like ready to move on to this dress. The tote bag was kind of a pain in my butt, but. Quickly, I'm going to cut you off. Uh, If anybody who usually watches on video is watching this right now, you'll probably notice that this is audio only. We decided not to film a video this week (laughs) because the iPad was dead and I needed (laughs) that to read my notes from because we record this on my phone. So. Uh, we're just going audio only now, uh, just had to quickly address that sooner rather than later. Um, okay. So you were working on a tote bag. Yeah. Um, and I ran out of yarn, so I got to finish that tote bag, but probably we'll start a dress today. You're going to start a dress today? Hopefully. I mean, as long as, you know, this doesn't take too long. (laughs) Yeah, no, hopefully this won't take too long. Yeah. I've got like minimal notes on both things that we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because one is like a show that has a second season that is like just released. Yeah. So it's like, okay, I don't want to dive too deep into the actual story there because it can spoil people. Yeah. Because they might want to start the show. Yeah. And then the other one is a documentary. So all the facts are in the documentary. All the facts are in the documentary. <laughs> I don't need any facts. Yeah. yeah. That's true. So very uh, note light this week. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, not much going on. I still have not finished that book that I started like five weeks ago. I'm not sure I've seen you read it. I did read a little bit last week. I just, it's, it's kind of slow. And so I keep getting distracted and then I get bored. <laughs> And so then I'm like, I'm going to crochet, but I'm determined to finish it. It's a good book. It's just a bit slow. What's it about again? It's the one that's about the girl who was fired. Oh, yeah. unjustly like, fired yeah. for potentially racist reasons. Right. Mm. Um, and yeah, like no, nothing's really, she's just back home right now and like it's kind of sparking a new relationship. And I'm like, but what happened with the letter? <laughs> Like a letter. Like, remember, there was like a letter. She wrote a she wrote a like a manifesto, I guess, if you want to call it that. She wrote like a That's expose. A, that, there we yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> manifesto. Not a manifesto. A loaded term. <laughs> yeah, not manifesto. An expose, um, like talking about her experience at this company, and like nothing has happened with that, and she's just back home right now, and like sparking up a love interest with somebody, which I don't know how I feel about. And so I'm just like bored right now. 
Okay, I feel that. Yeah. I'm like, what's going on with your expose? <laughs> Shoot. Like, I want to see, see what happens. So, I don't know. I'm having a hard time jumping back into it and, like, getting it done. But I'm, like, halfway through. All right. I get it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I just, I'm in a reading slump at the moment, which That's is a bummer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. We go in and out of things all the time. This is true. Sometimes I'm watching a ton of One Piece, and other times I'm not watching it at all. You know? Yeah. Sometimes I write reviews. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I play Zelda, and other times I still play Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you've been playing Zelda. <laughs> You're never in a Zelda slump. But yeah, that's that's why I say not much is going on, because not much is going on. Yeah. Today is... Uh, fourth of july so we've got the day off yep i tried to wear you see my outfit right now oh try to be a little red white and blue wow yeah this i'm wearing a uh, blue shirt with white text on it and red what do you call them basketball shorts (laughs) and white socks wow yeah trying to be emblematic or symbolic i don't know you go right ahead baby or thematic that's the word i'm looking for Trying to be thematic, but eh. <laughs> we got no video, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> there you go. All right. What about Any, you? Anything else? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, not much. I've been playing a bit more Zelda this weekend. Still playing that and Final Fantasy 16. I played a little bit of Final Fantasy 16, or I've played a decent amount of Final Fantasy 16 at this point. Probably like 10, 12 hours. And there, I will say there was like a really interesting twist that just happened. Or I don't know if I would call it a twist necessarily, but just something that surprised me that I did not think was going to happen at all. And was very like, wow, okay, I really like that. Um, but at the same time, like I'm really enjoying the story. And when there's long cutscenes, usually I'm not like, excited for long cutscenes, but in this game I'm like yes please bring on the long cutscenes because when there I mentioned this before when there's not long cutscenes happening it's you're either in combat which is great I would love to be in combat whenever I'm not in a long cutscene but outside of that you are just like running long distances and having really mundane conversations with the little people who are just like characters that you can straight up forget and it's like it's it's as if it's there to help fill out the world and to help build the world having these conversations that are smaller with like less important characters but i'm just like ugh i just know how big the whole thing can be because i've experienced big moments so when it's these really small moments like so small in the sense of I feel like I'm wasting my time. That really sucks. Like, uh, it's kind of disappointing. Um, but the combat moments are also a ton of fun. So I wish... I'm, it's Every time you do a side quest, it's mundane. Um, but there are just, like, forced mundane moments in between the big things. And it's just... It's really bumming me out. I'm not going to lie. I'm, like, not excited 
to pick it back up because a big thing just happened. I'm like, great, the next big thing's not going to happen for five more hours. And I got to sit through these boring conversations about, like, just things that I already know. Uh, People saying, like, oh, yeah, we have it hard in this part of the world. And it's like, yeah, okay, so so does everybody everywhere else. We've covered that at this point. We don't need to spend more time showing me how everything sucks for everyone. That's what I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to fix that. So like, you know, it's. I've I realized playing a bit of, like being excited to play that after having played a ton of Zelda and being like I need something different from Zelda to get excited about and then picking up that and finding it fun and entertaining but then going back to Zelda it's actually really made me appreciate this new Zelda game in the sense that you are always playing the game at all times like I do like games with a lot of story but this Zelda game I mean I know I will say this the Zelda game is a little like light on story I wish it was a bit more like transfixed of like when you're going to experience story it's kind of like you have to go do specific things and then you'll get story um I, I guess that's most games but like it's just it doesn't happen very often and so you're playing the game a lot. And so when I'm playing Final Fantasy, I there are just so many moments where I'm not playing the game. And if I'm not playing the game, I want it to be some really cool, interesting cutscene, which there are plenty of. But uh, yeah, there's just a lot of moments where I'm not playing the game, where I'm bored out of my mind. And Zelda has none of those issues. It's just you know, there's always something to do and see and explore and you care. You're like, wow, there's something off in the distance. I'm going to find something if I go to that place. In Final Fantasy, if you go to the you know opposite side of the available space that you have on the map of where you're currently located, you are highly likely to find absolutely nothing, which is fine. I just wish the game... Uh, just didn't even put that in front of me. I just like they described it in the marketing as like a nonstop roller coaster ride. And I'm like, that's great, but maybe roller coaster like roller coaster ride made me feel excited, but it's almost as if it's like a roller coaster that goes up and then it goes like, you know, has some fun and then you're just like at the bottom for a while until it like ramps up again. And I wish it was just like just fun all the time I don't know that was a long rant but that's how I've been feeling about Final Fantasy obviously I'm gonna finish it I'm very like enthralled with the story but I appreciate it just in how it's made me like Zelda that much more (laughs) nice yeah and not nice (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It's just making me think about like what games I'm going to choose to put my time into in the future because uh, I just I really value games where I'm playing the game. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, that's, I guess, my update. Uh, yeah. Still just hanging out, working. Yep. Yeah. We haven't seen any in movies, but we also just haven't felt like it. <laughs> so. Yeah. Going to go see Barbenheimer. 
Barbenheimer. <laughs> yep. Yep. Excited yeah. about that. Yeah. I gotta get my outfit together. Yeah, you're gonna wear pink and I'm gonna wear like a suit. Oh yeah. Pink head to toe. I saw I went to pick up some yarn today and I saw this like hot pink yarn. I was like, oh, should I knit a Barbie outfit? I mean, oh should I gosh. crochet a Barbie outfit? And I was like, no, that's too much. <laughs> and I don't think I can make something that I would like really want okay. to wear to Barbie. So we'll see. You still got to pick out an outfit. I know. You've been talking about it so much. You got to follow through. And I'm scared I'm going to let myself down. And I want to like, I want to go to the movies that, you know, Saturday or whatever. Yeah. And I want to see other people. I, if other people are not dressing for the occasion for Barbie, I swear. I'm like, you all missed the assignment. <laughs> I think in, I don't know, big city areas, maybe. Yeah. Maybe people you are. Know, I think I just like, I really want her Western like outfit. Oh, that outfit is to die for. And I'm like, I know I won't be able to find that anywhere. And also like, you know, I got to make something unique. So I also need to keep in mind, like theaters are pretty cold. So that's true. I mean, if I need, if I'm going to, if I'm going to dress for the occasion, I'm like, I need to think about a sweater, like a sweater that I can also wear that fits the outfit. Mm. Cause if it covers my outfit, I'd rather suffer through the cold theater <laughs> than have my outfit covered. Every time we were out and we see any pink attire, you were like, oh my gosh, that could be my Barbie outfit. I know. <laughs> Every I know. single time. I know. And I know I'll never wear it again because I am not a pink person. Like, I, I don't own anything pink, I don't think. Yeah. And so I'm like, I probably won't ever wear it again, which is also another thing. So I'm like, okay, I need a Barbie outfit that's not expensive because I probably won't wear it. Yeah. But like fits the occasion but is also like distinct enough to stand out hmm. i want to walk into oppenheimer and they're like oh my gosh she was just in barbie yeah yeah perfect <laughs> and i'm like what's this movie about <laughs> <laughs> have you seen barbie i just came from barbie <laughs> <laughs> i heard this one has like explosions and things. <laughs> like why is it so dark yeah <laughs> Well, um, I'm yeah. That'll be a day to look forward to. <laughs> It'll be fun. That's in a few weeks. I know. I keep saying like, oh, I have time. It's gonna sneak up on me. It's only two weeks. I, oh my god. Two gosh. and a half weeks. Ugh, the summer's going by so fast. I know. I'm not ready. All right. Well, those are all the updates I had, yeah. and those are all the updates you had. So, uh, let's dive into this week's assignments. Let's do it. I believe your assignment is first. Okay. Yeah. So this week, I was assigned a TV show called The Bear. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> so The Bear is, uh, it's on FX, and it streams exclusively on Hulu. It's got two seasons, and the second season, all the episodes just came out uh, fairly recently, like a few weeks ago at this point. So we watched the entire first season and what it's about is there's this guy named Carmen, otherwise known as Carmi, who is a professionally trained chef who was once the head chef of the best restaurant in the whole wide world. Wow. Yeah. And I think it was either the French Laundry or was it French Laundry? I don't remember. Okay. Because they, they mentioned like Napa and stuff, which mm -hmm. that, that's that got to be French Laundry. 
which is owned and operated by this guy, Thomas Keller, I think is his name. I'm not 100% sure. I'm not 100% sure, but, but I think that's his name. Yeah. But in the sh- they also talk about like Noma, the restaurant in, uh, what is that, Denmark? I don't know. <laughs> All right, you don't know anything about the culinary world, it sounds I like. I don't. Okay, so the show follows this guy, Carmi. He was once the best chef in the whole wide world, basically. And his older brother, Michael, recently passed away and left Carmi his restaurant, which is called The Beef, or The Original Beef of Chicago Land, And it's in Chicago. So Michael passes away, leaves the beef to Carmi. Carmi is basically trying to figure out how to run this small-time restaurant that's considered a classic to a lot of people. It's been losing its money for a long time and has a kitchen staff that's been there for a very long time. And the whole place overall just lacks organization. So with his varied culinary background, he tries to establish some organization in order to help make things run better, but also make the food better. And along the way, very early in the show, I think in the very first episode, he recruits a young woman named Sydney because she she offers to volunteer in the kitchen because she was trained at the CIA. Mm. <laughs> Food spies. Uh, no, no, that is not the Central Intelligence Agency. That is the Culinary Institute of America. So the beef was her f- dad's favorite place to eat growing up, I believe. Was was that correct? Oh, okay, my bad. That <laughs> You're looking at me in like an unsure way. I probably should have watched the first episode again. Because I, I came in, you were watching, you were on like episode, what, three by the time I like started watching it with you? Yeah, that's And true. it has been a minute since I've seen it, so. Okay. All right, well, so Sydney's dad, her his favorite place to eat growing up was the beef, and she wanted to come help out, uh, but also because she knows who Carmi is. She knows that he was once the best of the best, and now he's at the beef, and she's like, perfect opportunity to go for me to go learn from the best of the best at my dad's favorite place. So together they kind of tag team this effort, but he still mainly calls the shots, which does cause quite a bit of tension throughout the show. There's also a man that works there named Richie, who he works there uh, for the beef, and he was best friends with Michael and is also cousins with uh, Carmi and Michael. He tends to, Richie tends to have a... bit of a destructive personality that was yeah, the he's destructive wild. i said it kind of weird the first time yeah. uh yeah he is wild he'd be wildin'. he yeah like hard <laughs> but he also does kind of like i mean i wouldn't say he holds things together because he's actually kind of a very chaotic force <laughs> but at the same time like he's got street smarts mm-hmm. and he keep, he holds things together with his street smarts. He's got everybody's back at the yeah. end of the day yeah. and he'll do what he has to do to make sure everyone's good. Yeah, absolutely. There's also just a variety of other people that work there. There's this woman, Tina, who's worked there forever and she's very set in her ways. So she's a little stubborn at the beginning, but she grows on you. 
Yeah, but you didn't like her. I, I didn't like, like her. I at all. love her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just give her a chance. At first, I was like, Tina is the worst. And she I was like, is no. bringing this place down with her <laughs> stupid antics. No, I love Tina. Yeah. No, I mean, she she did grow on me by the end of the season. Then there's another person, uh, Marcus. He is work. He works desserts, I believe, and he mm. is perpetually trying to perfect his donut recipe. <laughs> he is such a little sweetie pie. He is a little sweetie pie. Um, but I say he's perpetually trying to perfect his donut recipe because nobody asked him to be doing that. <laughs> and he's got like cakes that he's supposed to be making, and yeah. he's always just like, "Yo, but try this donut." Yeah, he. Yeah. Some he he's not great at reading the room, and sometimes they like you need to work, like you need to do the like things that we need you the to tasks do. That you've been assigned. You need to put this passion of yours aside for like two seconds. Like mm-hmm, we'll mm-hmm. let you do it later, but right now we need you to do this. And mm-hmm. he's like just so unaware of that. <laughs> yep. And there's a whole cast of others. I don't really remember their names. Yeah. And it's also not the more. The more we dive into the other cast, it kind of like mm-hmm. their distinguishing characteristics and traits kind of yeah. get lost. I feel like the rest of the cast is more for like comedic relief kind yeah. of or like some background to add more commotion to the background. Type yeah. Of like there's an older guy. I think his name's Ibra and he's from Somalia. Oh, but I love him. I do love him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so like there's one part where um, I think Richie... Richie needed uh, some help with a uh, small cut, I'll call it, um, <laughs> that he got. And uh, he kind of like needed to focus away from the cut that he got. And he asked Ibra, like, tell me about the factions. And Ibra started telling all these stories about his time in Somalia, about the different factions and the fighting between the military and the factions. And hmm. so like, that's, if I was working in a place like that. That was I, a plot from a movie. Was it a plot from Yeah, because Richie was like, is that, uh, what is that, some Hawk Down or whatever? Oh, he's like, is this Black Hawk Down? Yeah, he yeah, was yeah. like, yep. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, I thought he was saying, um, when he was like saying, is that Black Hawk Down, when uh, Ebro was explaining the whole thing, I thought he was basically saying, you lived Black Hawk Down? No, I think he was like saying the plot of the movie and then he was like, wait a second, isn't that Black Hawk Down? He's like, wait a minute, I gotta look this up. (laughs) Is Black Hawk Down based on a true story? The story of 160 elite U.S. soldiers who dropped into Mogadishu in October 1993 to capture two top lieutenants of a renegade warlord but found themselves in a desperate battle with a large force of heavily armed Somalis. That is straight from IMDb, Black Hawk Down. Is this based on a true story? Ewan McGregor's in this movie. It won two Oscars. I've never seen it. Best film editing and best sound. Directed by Ridley Scott. Um, it's going to take me a while to Google <laughs> is Black Hawk Down based on a true story. <laughs> but okay. I mean, I could be wrong. But I thought, it was, I thought it was like a funny like joke of like, I'm just giving you a movie and you think like I'm telling you the real, this like real story. Yeah. No, it was a real story. Oh wow. Yeah. So my, my interpretation of where yeah. Rich, he was, Richie was being told this story by Ibra and Ibra's talking about the factions and yada, yada, yada. He's like, is that Black Hawk down? As in like, mm. oh my God, like you were there. 
I took it a different way of like this idiot thinks I live this thing that's like I didn't live just because I'm like the Somalian guy. Yeah. You know. <laughs> All right. None of this but maybe, is important. I don't know. <laughs> we are out here dissecting one small line of like episode seven. <laughs> I know. But I love that. Anyway, that character. What's his name? Ibra. Ibra. I love him. Yeah. I no, just he's... love to hear him talk and he's just like so funny and so sweet. Yeah. No, I. I mean, the whole cast is really likable, yeah. as chaotic of a mess as they are. Yeah. And that's kind of like the whole thing. Um, like, just given that recipe, um, <laughs> given that recipe for a TV show, like from there, they just try to get things right in the kitchen. They try to find ways to work together and generally confront their demons on an individual level. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, did you like it? Did okay, you? I thought it was great. <laughs> uh, I do have some thoughts. Okay. So, I do think it's great. Um, I was very just like, uh, I was in it while I was watching it, and I was just like happy to just to like watch every episode and see like are they going to be successful at this or not and like yeah this is really stressful like you you said last week like this is a very stressful tv show i'm like yeah this is stressful it wasn't like so stressful but i was like Mm -hmm. you know oh like i want to keep watching this i want to know what's going to happen um i want to watch season two Mm -hmm. and like i felt i think if anything the strengths of this show lie in its characters Mm -hmm. and the connection the viewer develops with the characters Mm -hmm. and just their general plight. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you kind of get to know some of them Mm -hmm. a little bit. And uh, when Carmi is Carmi, because he comes from such a, like uh, what's the word? Uh, Successful. (laughs) I was going to say decorated. Mm -hmm. Um, Such like a decorated culinary past. Mm -hmm. He brings a lot of intensity to his role as like the head chef of this place. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like misplaced intensity. Like it's Mm -hmm. just at a way higher level than what is absolutely necessary for like this small time business. Mm -hmm. Um and I mean, you know, he does have to, he knows that the whole place is like in the hole mm-hmm. and he wants to keep the lights on mm-hmm. just, f- you know, for the customers and for the people that work there. Mm-hmm. And uh, like that, he brings on so much mm-hmm. stress mm-hmm. trying to make that whole thing successful mm-hmm. because he comes from this very like make or break. It has to be perfect world. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like he's he's confronting trauma from so many different things trauma from his brother passing away trauma from a high stress you know life in this like culinary world before he got to the beef and not and then like and also like his his brother didn't just like pass like his brother like what like overdosed or something like that um or did trigger he, warning yeah. but his brother had committed suicide there we go um and his brother had like issues with substance use and things like that so like going through all of that and what all that means and like dealing with his own mental health because he has these like like it's like hallucinations essentially and yeah like these, like, there's a scene 
in the second episode where he like wakes up in the middle of the night mm-hmm. um to himself like cooking a bunch of frozen food on the stove mm-hmm. and it's all on fire yeah um and i actually wrote down that the fire and smoke visual effects were terrible in that scene um yeah like they just put a smoke filter on top of it and called it a day but um yeah he just like if i woke up in the middle of the night just burning a bunch of frozen food on my stove i would be freaked out like you know you gotta be in a pretty bad place yeah and for your like trauma around what you do to be like that intense to where you're doing it in the middle of the night yeah and almost burning your house down yeah and i mean he's not the only one too like sydney also in one of the episodes like mentions like i stay awake at night thinking about like what i do and like i forget what she said something like doing something differently like having cooked a meal or something and and wishing i had done it differently or something like that and i don't know they're they're all kind of facing their own traumas and like, but also like running away, trying to run away from their traumas, and that's making it worse mm. because it's impacting like how they're working. And so, yeah, it's just a lot. <laughs> Meanwhile, for the customers, they're just like, I just want my sandwich, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And so, I don't know. I don't know. I I absolutely love this show. Um, for me, it's really stressful. I mean, you mentioned that like it wasn't as stressful for you. For me, I like do not do well with chaos <laughs> like they're they will be screaming at each other there's like a line of customers there's a fight that breaks out outside like it's like all these things are always happening at, simultaneously yeah. the kitchen is always really like chaotic and for me that's really hard it's like too i get overstimulated very easily i'm like looking as if there's a camera i get overstimulated very easily and so like shows or movies like this where there's like a million things going on at once stress me out so much (laughs) and I'm like I need everyone to stop (laughs) I I mean I love those kinds of scenes where it's like everything is happening all at once and it's like what are we gonna do to solve it yeah and yeah the in the case of this Mm -hmm. I was just left wondering oh yeah what I'm excited to see what they do about it. Yeah. Um, honestly, from a writing perspective, how are they going to handle this? Because mm-hmm. if I wrote myself into a situation where everything was happening all at once, mm-hmm. I would be like, how do I now fix this? Yeah. It makes me think of, you remember that meme of, a, I think it's like a little cartoon dog and everything's on fire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what it, the that's show like this is. show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what the like, show everything is. Everything is fine. No, but like. <laughs> But if, like, if the dog then started yelling at everybody <laughs> yeah, to get it together. Yeah. But I want to come back to that point you made about Carmi and how you felt like he, because of his, like, background and, like, and the way he was trained, like, in the culinary world, bringing that into this place where, like, it's not necessary and he brings that intensity. Yeah. What I love about the show is, like, how the other characters react to that because none of them are like 
stop doing this they all like you can tell they all respect him and mm. they they find this as an opportunity to like grow as cooks as chefs and like they really value what he has to say about the way they cook or like they really value learning from him like he did like a demonstration for them like taught them how to do something and they're all super invested and like want to know how he did it and want to know like what he learned um and so i love that aspect of it of how like each person wants to like grow from interacting with him in their own way yeah because they're all responsible for their own mm-hmm. kind of dishes mm-hmm. so when marcus is talking to him mm-hmm. learning about this like crazy plum dessert that's made with like four different ways of making plum put together and it has to be made perfectly mm-hmm. marcus is like inspired by that and yeah. he's like i'm gonna try and put that effort into my donuts mm-hmm. and i do appreciate that as well mm-hmm. I, I mean they all start out very resistant to yeah. carmy's way of doing things mm-hmm. but because it's food mm-hmm. and they literally get to eat the fruits of his labor mm-hmm. that's when it's like you know mm-hmm. every time they eat something it's like they the switch flips in their head like yeah this guy clearly knows what he's talking about yeah and making food is what i do for a living so maybe i should listen to him mm-hmm. i want to know what you think about sydney's character because i was watching she recently did a i think it was like a hollywood roundtable type of thing yeah and she said that people will like come up to her um and people will be like your character is really annoying <laughs> Her char- honestly, like her character is really annoying. Um, <laughs> it, it's like it's it's her attitude that's annoying. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do like her character overall. Yeah. Um, but her character does have a tendency to be really like sarcastic in a non-helpful way. But I think <laughs> I think it just kind of speaks to like she is a young character. Yeah. And like she maybe acting sarcastic like that worked for her yeah. growing up and i think it just gives her character an opportunity to grow yeah and kind of learn like acting like that mm-hmm. maybe isn't going to help people respect and listen to me mm-hmm. you know acting pretentious or like i think other people are stupid is not going to help yeah. hope i mean that cuz that's i'm describing like kind of how she does act mm-hmm. I think, like, I don't find her character annoying. I do think there's growth that needs to be done, and I'm sure she'll get there. But, like, for me, I understand why she has the attitude she does. And she even kind of talks about it um, because she's a very young woman of color in this culinary world where there's, like, not many people like her and she kind of talks about this with tina of like i understand how it feels to be a woman in the kitchen a woman of color in the kitchen um and but but she's like in her 20s um and so like i can see why she approaches things in the way that she does because she has to like establish her like footing and she has to like try and gain the respect of people who just see her as this child yeah and um and on top of that, she's also unfairly being thrown into situations by Carmi. That's true. He does literally, I mean, just he just screws her over yeah. multiple times. Yeah, and she will tell him, like, this is not a good idea. They don't respect me. They're not going to yeah. listen to me. And this is going to blow up in our faces. And I'm going to be the, I'm going to get the brunt of that while you're, like, 
running around <laughs> wherever yeah. you are. I mean, she does literally tell him that, but yeah. like when he's, he makes a decision and she's like, uh, this is not going to work. And he's like, no, yes, it, it will. And then mm-hmm. things happen and yeah. lo and behold, it does not work. <laughs> and it goes exactly like she said it was going to. Exactly. And he kind of, so yeah, he brushes it. it off and he's like, oh, you know, like that's just what they do. Like that's, they're just like, you know, what is like kind of like hazing you into the into the crew and she's like but like no this is harmful (laughs) and like i need you to step up or like i need you to listen to me yeah and so i can understand like she's just fighting for her life (laughs) in this space and so i i could get i understand why she comes off as sarcastic or she like acts pretentious or like whatever because she's just trying to like gain respect and like yeah, I mean, she has to... Find her place. She does, Yeah, she does have to kind of, like, put her time in with these people. And yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I Like, I understand exactly why mm-hmm. she is the way that she is. Yeah. Um, I just think that, like, there's... Yeah, there's, like you said, there's just a clear opportunity for growth yeah. in her character. For sure. I'm excited to see kind of, like, what happens with her. Yeah. I will say so I think my only my only misgiving towards this show is it's much more focused on well okay it's a show that's very focused on the stress of managing a restaurant which I love about it um but there's not enough for me personally I just felt like I wish there were more focus on the actual cooking serving you know Mm. or cooking plating serving and eating Mm -hmm. of the actual food Mm. i feel like the actual eating that's done by the customers just like happens off screen Mm -hmm. and it's mostly if any eating does happen it's like they'll take a quick bite of something to to uh test or try Mm -hmm. it to see if it's good Mm -hmm. and then they'll like they'll sell it um I don't know. I guess coming from a show like Food Wars, where the f- the f- <laughs> the whole thing was that yeah. they make the food and they talk about how the food was made, mm-hmm. and then the people try it, and they have like you know a whole emotional event, yeah, about the food. Like yeah. I I kind of felt like they could have had more of those moments, or mm-hmm. at least just done more like this is how this is prepared and like shown it in like a demo way. Yeah. I think I'm wondering how much of that will come in the later, in the new seasons that come out, because I think with this, it was like, this was just like a, a deli essentially. Right. And it's like falling to pieces. So like, put the food aside. We need to get the business together together, first. And now, and like based on how this season ends, which I won't spoil it in case anyone hasn't watched the first season and wants to watch it before the second season based on how this ends i feel like okay now we're starting to focus on yeah. the food and like what's to come that like that yeah. wise and now there's more room for development for each of these characters to gain more culinary skills to now start making the like you know fancy foods that you want to see being made yeah, yeah, yeah. um but it, before it's like no one really cares about watching customers eat a sandwich because it's like that's it's just fair. a sandwich that's true <laughs> i mean yeah this it's really interesting this season this first season it feels like the like the pre-show yeah like it was very 
you watch and you're like, oh yeah, I'm watching the bear. Yeah. But I feel like once more seasons of this show come mm-hmm. comes out, yeah, it's gonna feel like the I don't know. Say it's six seasons total. It's gonna be like seasons two through six mm-hmm. are gonna be like what the show actually is. Yeah. And what it's season one is was just the necessary yeah. build up to getting there. Yeah. But I definitely think it was it's needed, especially with like something as chaotic as this. If you don't have that foundation and also we need to care about the characters in order to care about their growth. Yeah. And like I they set it up very well so that we know that there's going to be growth of those characters. True, like they, true. they've invested us enough to be like, all right, this is what this person, this is where this person needs to go. And like, we're excited to see them get to that point. Yeah. Like, we know every kind of flaw of each character, yeah. um, which I think is very necessary for us to be invested in what's coming next. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, ready for some facts? Yeah. That was everything I had. Alrighty, um, let me pull them up. Non-spoilery facts. Um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so all to right. start off, um, no hand doubles were used in the making of the show, so all of the chopping and prep were actually done by the actors. But that is impressive. Yeah, you were, you literally made a comment. You were like, "Wow, look at how they're chopping!" Like, I want to chop like that. <laughs> yeah, because we need better knives. <laughs> <laughs> I know our knives suck. Um. Yeah, so everyone everyone did their own their own chopping and prep. Wow, all right. Yep. Um, so Jeremy Allen White. Who Anybody is, can cook. <laughs> literally. Um, Jeremy Allen White, who is who plays Carmi, um, went to cooking school for two weeks and worked in, a ki- in the kitchen of multiple restaurants. Among them was a Michelin star rated restaurant called Pesajoli. Um, I think I pronounced that was right. Was this all in preparation for the role? Right, to train for the show. Mm-hmm. Two uh, weeks. Two weeks isn't even that long. That's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I like imagine that he like for months like. I know. Yeah. But I mean, I guess we don't see him cooking often. That's he's, true. He's, he does more of the admin stuff. Occasionally he'll like. Maybe he's cook. done more cooking in in between yeah. seasons. I yeah. Don't know. I imagine they probably train him a lot more as like, you know, I mean, in preparation for get more two. money for the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so another fact, so, and I'm going to, I hope I pronounce her name right. Ayo Adibri, who plays Sydney. Okay. Um, I'm so sorry if I butchered that. Uh, when asked her on her thoughts, if Sydney and Carmi should get together, she said, um, if anything happened between Sydney and Carmi, nobody would be happy. It would be disappointing and jarring and weird. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, it would. I... I don't. I don't want there to be a romance there. I think that there's just like a right. uh, respect, mutual respect. F- yeah, I agree. Um, there is a moment between Sydney and who's the guy who does the Marcus. Marcus, there we go. Between Marcus and I thought that was a very sweet moment, and I was like, I would be happy if that blossomed into a sure. thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I agree. I don't think her and Carmi would would be a. I'm not watching weird. this show looking for any amount of romance. I mean, no, I'm not watching it for romance either. The romance should be between be me and the food. <laughs> fair. <laughs> Very fair. Um, okay. Another, this is a not so fun fact. Um, but apparently, and trigger warning again, we, already, we did one, but another trigger warning. Oh, geez. Okay. So substance abuse is apparently really common in the restaurant industry. industry. Yeah. 
Um, and there's an article that came out in 2019 called In an Industry Rife with Substance Abuse, Restaurant Workers Help Their Own. Um, it was written in NPR by an author named Tove Danovich. Mm-hmm. Um, and according to a 2015 study by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, the food industry and hospitality industry has the highest rates of substance use, substance use disorders and third highest rates of heavy alcohol use of all employ, employment sectors. And so I highly recommend checking out the article. I did read it because I was just, I wanted to know more. Um, and it's very interesting, um, very sad, but there are, in the article, it talks about like ways that Various people are kind of coming together to kind of tackle this issue um, and provide services, especially mental health services for restaurant workers and things like that so that they can hopefully kind of mitigate this issue. Um, but but yeah, I think like I think this show is really interesting from what I've heard based on like comments that I've seen online and also just like my conversations with I mentioned last episode, I have a friend who was trained um to be a chef and now has her own business um but yeah when I was asking her like I was like oh yeah I'm watching the bear and she was like yeah I can't watch like that that show's pretty triggering like it is pretty it can be pretty accurate and I was like whoa that's very scary (laughs) like that's kind of wild and so yeah and then like comments that I've seen have been like oh like from people who are chefs they're like yeah it's it can be wild out there I can think of at least one person I know who is a chef. I mean, I can think of multiple people I know that are chefs. Yeah. Um, but chefs, 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 chefs. <laughs> <laughs> leaves, leaf leaves, chef, chefs. Yeah, that's <laughs> no. funny. Roofs, <laughs> roofs, roofs, roofs. <laughs> anyway, uh, to you. Anyway, chefs. I can think of multiple people that I know that are chefs, but. Yeah, there's there's at least one person I know that's a chef that like really struggle with substance abuse, um, and there's at least one person I know who works in the hospitality industry who really struggle with substance abuse. So, yeah, yeah this is not surprising to you. Yeah, yeah, really sad. I hate that this is the experience for a lot of people. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I hope that I hope that these efforts that a lot of people are, are investing in um, and the people who really care about, you know, the workers in these spaces, which like everyone should care. And it really drives me nuts when people don't treat people like in the food industry. Well, yeah. I absolutely hate that. Um, I'm like, I'm never trying to be difficult unless like you asked for something vegetarian and they brought, they put meat on it, you know, like that's yeah. like, Okay, well, I have to be difficult. And it's not like you're still treating that person with respect. You're like, you know, I'm so sorry. I like I can't eat meat. Is there any way I can like get this without yeah. it? Like you you're you're still respectful and things like that, but yeah, it's yeah, I hope I hope that the issues get worked out. I mean, that's like that's a big effort, but <laughs> but you know, I, I hope mean, we continue to to try and work on it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, Any other facts? Yes. One more fact. And this is just a silly one. Um, So in episode eight, there is a video game (laughs) um, called Ball Breakers. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's like throughout the the show. Oh, really? I forgot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's like an arcade game that's at the, at the beef. Yeah. yeah. Um, It's in the first episode a lot. Yes. Well, in episode eight, the 
character from the video game is talking. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's the the voice of that is Paul Rudd. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was so random and funny. Yeah, the um there's uh, there's like one side character, uh what's his name? Um it's not Tack. Fack? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The um, chef, the one who's like an actual chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this there's this guy named Fack who his whole point being there is like to fix the lights or to fix the arcade cabinet to fix the um the toilet like he's basically just their mechanic the handyman the handyman um and he's played by uh chef maddie Mm -hmm. who is like an actual chef Mm -hmm. and we watched this whole like architecture digest video of Mm -hmm. his new restaurant that he opened up in uh toronto oh yeah toronto that's Mm -hmm. right um, which, yeah, I'm sure like was very weird for you to be like, oh my gosh, like this guy's speaking <laughs> quite knowledgeably on food. Uh, I mean, or, you told me you were like, that's a real chef. And I was yeah, like, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah I was, when I saw, I was like, I've seen that guy somewhere before. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. It's when I went to outside lands, mm-hmm. um, the music festival in San Francisco and he was doing a gastro magic event with Bill Nye, <laughs> the science guy. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm glad he's in the show. Yeah, like yeah, I'm glad a, he's in the show cameo. too, and he's pretty funny. Yeah, no, he's like the watching him and Bill Nye was like a very funny thing because Bill Nye is like, it's science, yeah. and uh, Maddie's just like, okay, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. fun. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. All right, um, cool. All right, one down, one yeah. to go. All righty. Um, let me pull up my notes here. Okay. Um, so I was assigned 14 Peaks, which came out in 2021. Um, and this is about, this is a documentary about a Nepali climber named Nims Day, but they call him Nims. Um, and he established. Uh, wait, his name is Nims Perja. They call oh. him, they call him Nims, Nims Die or Nims, Nims Day. Nims Die. Nims Day. Yeah. My you bad. Just, they just call him Nims. Yeah. They call yeah. him Nims. I'll call him Nims. His name is Nims Perja. Okay. My bad. I'm sorry. Um, I think I had like looked up because I was like, I know his name's Nims, but I don't remember what it was yeah. like the whole name was. On Instagram, he's Nims Die. Okay. Got you. Um, but he establishes a project that he calls Project Possible, um, where he decides that he's going to summit or climb to the top of um, all of the mountains that are over 8,000 meters, which ends up being 14 mountains hence 14 peaks. Um, and he decides to do this within a seven month time frame. And so the whole document, I keep looking as if the camera's there. I know. It's, we've got the tripod, tripod. tripod. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've got the tripod up because we were going to film. I know. So I look over there and I think I'm being filmed. I know. <laughs> All right, you keep talking. I'm going to move it. Yeah. It's so distracting. Um, and so the whole documentary is basically, um, him doing this he he's climbing all these peaks he's running into challenges into obstacles into like some sad things i'll mention those in just a minute um and yeah and it's like you're just hoping that he's able to successfully do them all by the end of the um documentary um and so throughout the documentary he he it's not necessarily that he has trouble climbing some of these summits occasionally he like has a bit of a hard time um 
it's more so he keeps running into people another trigger warning who are like near death um who got stuck somewhere and he has to kind of like help them save them at one point he saves one guy at another point he is unable to save a guy and that really impacts him and it's just like this was my only other reference for a climbing movie was um free solo Mm -hmm. which i really enjoyed um free solo while it was really intense because he's free soloing like he's like not attached anything and so like hit the risk of him felt more than necessarily the risk of nims and nims team um but i found this one to be such so much harder of a watch because like it really shows you the scariness of being on the mountains because he kept running into people who were like just really suffering yeah i i mean yeah free solo it's like Alex Honnold, the guy that, you know, climbs El Capitan without a rope by himself, like he is putting himself in that situation and he's like the only person in harm's way. Whereas, yeah, watching 14 Peaks, it's like there are lots of people that go on these climbs up these massive mountains, Mm -hmm. um, ice climbing, rock climbing, like all, you know, the whole thing. and it's a, it's an incredibly dangerous thing to do because of the temperature and yeah. the lack of oxygen. Yeah. And because of Nims's background, mm-hmm. having been in the military for Nepal, mm-hmm. uh, he was in like the, the Nepali special forces. Mm-hmm. Um, because of his background, he's like, I never left anybody to die when mm-hmm. I was in the military mm-hmm. and when I'm climbing on these dangerous mountains and mm-hmm. somebody is in need of help, like yeah. I'm not going to turn my back on them no yeah. matter what. Yeah. There's so the scene of the man who didn't make it. Um, they, they're basically like climbing down when they notice the man and it's getting to be nighttime, which makes it really hard for helicopters to come in and, and get them from what it seems. Um, and from what they say, but, and so Nims gives the man his oxygen and, um, the saddest part of that is like, they're, they keep radioing for help and they're like, we need somebody to come. We need somebody to come. We need somebody to come. And on the radio, the guy's like, just leave the man. Like you're going to die. Just leave him. Yeah. And I'm like, to say, like to hear those words come out of someone's mouth of just let him die like that. Yeah. was wild and I was like oh my heart like like if I were Nims I'd be like I I can't like I can't just leave yeah. him here I can't like I can't accept a just let him die like because to think about like yeah. I go on and this man I just am like like you just have to leave that guy there yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like it would stress me I would think about that moment for the rest of my life yeah and like I, I don't know how he continued climbing because I would be so traumatized. I mean, I know that was yeah. that was only after like the second or yeah. third peak. Yeah, we got like eleven more to go. I know I'd be so traumatized, and I'd be like, I can't do this. I can't willingly put myself in this position where this is like this is what can happen. 
But I mean, I guess if you love love doing it so much, then it's like, you know, that's the name of the game. Everyone knows the risk that they take when they do it. But still, I was just like, ah, oh, my heart, too much. Um, but in terms of my thoughts, overall, I really enjoyed this. I think I preferred this over Free Solo. Um, I mean, I talked about I talked about my feelings. What's his name? Alex? Alex Honnold. I talked a little bit about my feelings of Alex <laughs> when we covered that episode. Um, so I won't dive deep into it here. But I think what I really loved about 14 Peaks specifically was it was giving credit to these like Nepali climbers who oftentimes get no credit um, for doing the things. And they kind of talked about that of like, if we were white, we would have way more press coverage. Like if we were, or if we were European or whatever, if we were Western uh, Westerners, like we would have so much more coverage and like so much more sponsors and like people would be so invested and like cheering us on. And like, because we're not, we're not getting that recognition. Yeah. And yet we are the ones who are guiding these like Western European people. We're the ones who are teaching them how to do this stuff. Yeah. And so like, it's time for us to get that credit. And I absolutely loved that. Um, and it made me so happy to see that and to like recognize that. Um, and they were just so fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is why, yeah, when I signed it to you last week, I was like, um, it's about this yeah, group of people who climb 14 peaks mm-hmm. and I feel like they like deserve to be talked about because yeah. it is an incredibly impressive feat. Mm-hmm. And Nepal is an incredibly mountainous area. So it makes yeah. a ton of sense that these guys who live in this country, where like the first like five peaks are located like in their backyard yeah um are just like naturally talented at doing this or just Mm -hmm. like have the experience and background and like we're essentially the pioneers Mm -hmm. of climbing these massive mountains Mm -hmm. um and like i yeah i I love that aspect of this of how Mm -hmm. um like this is an incredibly impressive thing to do. Yeah. And they're the ones that like figured out how to do it in the first place. Yeah. And no, yeah, they just have never been given credit for it. Yeah, definitely. It just, if it felt different watching this, it felt more meaningful watching this and not to, not to discredit Alex. Like, I mean, what he did was incredible and like terrifying. Yeah. But it's like seeing that it was like, okay, he just did that because he wanted to. I mean, it's a different kind of accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it felt like, and maybe I'm misremembering the documentary. It definitely felt like something of like, oh, I want to just be like, be able to say that I did it versus with these climbers. It's like, they were like, we want to represent our people. We want, this is not just us doing this for the sake of doing it. Like we had, this means so much to us, to our families, to our community. And like it, I was able to cheer them on more, I guess. Like watching Free Solo, I was like, he's crazy. (laughs) Like, no, why? Why would you even, why would you do this? And this, it's like, okay, I see why you're doing this. I'm rooting for you. I mean, the significance of them climbing all of, all 14 of these peaks, like they're not, they're not the first people to climb all 14 of these peaks. Yeah. Um, but they certainly are the fastest because yeah. like getting ready to climb one big mountain yeah. is like, you can spend a whole year mm-hmm. planning to train to do that. Like the, the first person to ever climb all 14 of these 8,000 meter plus mountains, mm-hmm. um, 
was this like German guy mm-hmm. or European at least mm-hmm. who it took him like 16 years to do that. Mm-hmm. And the last person to climb all 14 peaks uh, had done so in 2013. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, they're not the first people to do it, but like for the first guy to have done it in 16 years. And then yeah. they said, all right, we're going to climb 14 mountains in six months and six days. Like that's how long it took them to do it. Yeah. And the last mountain, it only took them so long to do it because they got held up by permits and stuff by yeah. the Chinese government. Yeah. Um. So like if they had had that permit available, they could have done it a lot sooner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like that is basically like one mountain every two weeks. That's crazy. And here's the craziest part for me. This man and his team, they would like climb a mountain and get to like oh, the yeah. bases, like a base where they would like camp, camp for the night. Yeah. And they would be partying. They're like yeah. drinking. Yeah. Like just having a, just staying up late, just having a grand time, which is fine and dandy. But I'm like, how in the world are you then getting up early to climb? Are you not dehydrated? Like yeah. I, I would be out. If I had one drink, I'd be like, I can't make this climb because I am dehydrated. I'm getting cramps. I'm like, I would be out. And I'm like, how are they doing that? And yeah. that was for every climb. They partied on every mountain, I swear. Yeah, they uh, especially when they got to K2, which I think K2 is the second highest mountain in the world uh, next to Everest. Wow. But it's considered a much more dangerous climb than Everest. Yeah. Uh, like when they showed up to the K2 base camp and there's all these people there that are like depressed because they're not going to be able to climb it. The conditions are way too dangerous. And he just shows up and he's like, guys, why are you all depressed? Let's party. (laughs) And then they party. And then then the next day they get up and he's like, all right, we're going to go do it. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, what? Yeah. And then they go and do it. It's a while. And then everybody's like, okay, those guys did it. I guess we'll go do it. And then, and then everybody ended up making it. Yeah. I'm like, he's Superman. I'm convinced because the way I would be flat on my back, like go without me. (laughs) (laughs) I could not, I don't know how he did it. Um, yeah, it's wild. Um, my other question or like my, the other thing that I, the thing that I wish I saw, I wish they showed them climbing down more (laughs) because I was like, great. I saw how you climbed up. It was very steep. Mm-hmm. Like, it looks very slippery. Um, how do you get down? Like, well, there was a few... There were a few moments... They didn't necessarily show a lot of, like, climbing down footage. But yeah. there were significant moments when it came to climbing down. Like, when, when he... he and fell. Yeah, well... I was, I was going to get to that in a second, but the, yeah. like the, what we were talking about earlier when he was going down the second or third climb, mm-hmm. he runs into a guy mm-hmm. and then, you know, that guy dies in his arms. Yeah. And then now he's like, he's developing a haste, haste which mm-hmm. I cannot remember what that stands for. Uh, high altitude. Nice. Something, something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cerebral edema. Yeah. Something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically you like, you're just like tripping, like halluc- you're just, yeah, you're like hallucinating cause you don't have enough oxygen. Yeah. Um, so like he gives the guy that ends up dying his oxygen, but then 
he's like, well, I still got to get down and he's got no oxygen. Mm -hmm. So he's like hallucinating. He thinks he sees a Yeti or the abominable snowman. Turns out it's another guy who also has haste and they get down the mountain together. So there's that moment and there's the moment where he does slip and he falls like a hundred meters and he like has to grab this rope in order to stop himself from falling. Yeah. Um, which apparently he almost like just quit the whole project after that incident. But the guy yeah. that had uh, climbed all 14 peaks in 16 years or whatever, um, he was telling that guy that story. And the guy was like, I've never seen you climb before, but like you can do it. Yeah. Like, don't give up. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No. If that man who died in my arms didn't shake me, that for sure would. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And he's I, got a wife. Yeah. What? In both, like, Free Soul and this, I'm like, oh, my gosh, to, like, have a partner that, like, can just, that is supportive, Mm -hmm. which I love that they're supportive of it, but, like, I don't know if I could do it. (laughs) I would be, I would be so stressed. I'd be so scared. I would be so sad. I, because you just never know. You're just constantly waiting by the phone, hoping that there's not a moment where you get a phone call that's, like so bad news you know yeah i mean when you compare alex honnold's girlfriend at the time she's now his wife um yeah her reaction during the whole free solo thing she is like but do you have to do it (laughs) literally and then you look at nims's wife doing the 14 peaks and she's like i was never gonna stop him yeah she's like i knew what i signed up for yeah she's having a completely different reaction she's like he's got to go do it it's literally his calling in life yeah yeah. She has like nothing to say. As much as I would love to be, to have that reaction, I don't know that I would. Oh, no. I mean, yeah. You, you yeah. really got to have the right temperament yeah. to have a partner who's doing all these dangerous activities. Yeah. And I mean, I would never like, I'm not, I'm not going to give an ultimatum. I'm like, if this is your passion and this is what you truly feel like you have to do, that's great. I just don't know that I could be a part of that. Yeah. Because... It, it would just don't worry honey i'm not about to go climbing all these big mountains <laughs> thank goodness it would be cool to like i don't know go up a big mountain at one point but yeah nah even like even if you like went rock climbing with your buddies i'd be like Ugh. oh my gosh <laughs> i'm like please be safe fair enough fair enough please be safe yeah there's i mean there's some also some other significant parts of this documentary like when he goes to Everest, it was this, like, the weather had been really bad at Everest, but so mm. many people wanted to climb Everest that season, and yeah. there was this weather window of, like, one or two days where it was good to climb Everest, mm-hmm. and so everybody that wanted oh to climb gosh. Everest and their mama was going up Everest. At that point, they weren't climbing, like, they were just, like, inching. They were just in line. It was just a packed line yeah and i was like is it that easy to climb everest where everybody can just do it (laughs) right well i mean he talks about how like all the people that climb everest are being led by their sherpas as in like local professional people who like literally live here and like take westerners up the mountain yeah um professionally yeah and he was like if if uh if the listener is familiar with the there's this picture that went viral of like basically the line to the top of Mount Everest. Yeah. And he's the guy that took that picture. And it was 
while he was filming 14 peaks yeah um and i just i remember seeing that picture and being like that is crazy right apparently there is like a lot of poop on mount everest ew yeah i mean all them people and they gotta go to the bathroom yeah like what do you do if you're like in the middle of climbing and you gotta go to the bathroom but there's no flat place for you to go to the bathroom yeah there's i mean there's equipment for that ew are you like pooping in a bag probably yeah yuck there's another (laughs) there's another documentary called the dawn wall um that also takes place on el capitan um but it's on like this just sheer uh like glass wall that's like flat and almost like nobody climbs it and it's about the guys that are the first people to climb it um and it took them like 19 days to do it like so they were like or 21 days something like that so they're on the wall yeah for that many days oh so they my just have gosh. that many that much like supplies and like food yeah and they're just like sleeping hanging from the side of this mountain oh my god for weeks well it makes me think of you know they got to be pooping somewhere yeah it makes me think of those guys who were climbing under that bridge that we when we watched the expo or whatever and oh they we were watched like, uh real rock 16 i think it yeah was. and they would like sleep up that. there and like have people bring food up there and like i mean where were they pooping they had to bring a bag <laughs> yeah i don't i mean those guys should have brought food if they needed people to deliver food to them i know i forgot how the food got up to them because they like would have someone bring a pizza or like yeah yeah no in the case of the dawn wall it's like yeah they they were just eating uh i don't know couscous every day for like three weeks but even harder (laughs) yeah like that's rough yeah oh my gosh i can't do it (laughs) yeah um another big component of 14 peaks is his relationship with his mom who yeah. is like sick oh my throughout gosh. the, the whole story such a cutie yeah she's in this like little at some point this little fuzzy pink like robe coat oh, thing oh yeah and yeah. it was so cute yeah when he finally does it she's like in a pink robe <laughs> and, the on the helicopter yes. with like the the headset it's the cutest thing i've ever seen yeah. i'm like ah this lovely lady yeah. What a queen. Yeah. Well, yep. uh, I'm going to check to see if there's anything else that I wrote down about this. Anything else that you would like to say? Um, Not that I can think of. I don't know if you have any more. Like, if you have more climbing documentaries that are, like, climbers of color. I have at least two. <laughs> I have at least two more climbing documentary. I just made like a face. Um, yeah. I have at least two more climbing documentaries in my uh, backlog. Yeah. Uh, not climbers of any, color though. Are there any climbing documentaries of black folks? Um, Real Rock Fifteen had mm-hmm. a short film that mm-hmm. was like forty minutes long about. Um, a group of black kids in Memphis, Tennessee, who mm-hmm. go to their local climbing gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy, Conrad Anchor, who's a, a professional climber, mm-hmm. he takes a group of black kids to Montana mm-hmm. for an ice climbing trip. Mm. And so it's these kids from Memphis who've like never even seen snow before yeah. go on this trip. Um, this like ice climbing trip and it's like this 
yeah. life-changing experience. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. I. It's so interesting. There's like these sports that just don't feel accessible <laughs> to like, and I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for the whole black community because I'm not about to do that. But like, I don't know. I like, I, there's so many sports that I feel are like not accessible to me or like sports that it's like, who in their right mind would like <laughs> would do that? Like, yeah. And climbing was like one of those, th- like one of those things. Climbing, I was like climbing outdoors, like rock climbing gyms, you know, it's like, I took like I took a rock climbing class in undergrad because it's fun, but like to like be outdoors, I'm like, ain't no way. Like, yeah. who people are crazy to do that kind of thing. And I don't know. There's just like yeah, there's just so many sports that feel less accessible to me, and like it just feels like something I just would never be like. I was just never brought up to like consider that as like you sh- like that's a thing you can do. It's like what the heck. And so I, I, I'm always interested to like see documentaries or to like hear people's story, like black people's stories who like do these sports that feel like they're very like, it's a very white space. Yeah. Um, and to like learn how they even got into that and like, yeah. It, it seems, journey. it seems like you have to come from some privilege mm-hmm. in order to participate in this activity where you are willingly putting yourself in danger yeah 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 <laughs> yeah that's what it feels like and it's interesting yeah yeah well i'll be on the lookout <laughs> yeah if you come across any yeah um but i mean yet yeah, you i mean you are hitting the nail on the head like that's kind of why i wanted to pick 14 peaks mm-hmm. the like the cl- i had no doubt that these guys were going to successfully climb all 14 of these peaks yeah. um it's it's the fact that it's this group of guys who come from nepal who literally pioneered the sport who have never gotten credit yeah or have been recognized for literally like it's like they literally wrote the book yeah and only like european or Mm -hmm. westerners get Mm -hmm. the credit Mm -hmm. yeah that's what really makes this whole story stand out definitely i agree yeah um all right some other quick facts uh they say this at the end of the movie i think this number is correct um but nims broke six climbing records uh by accomplishing this feat which is really cool um the crew that he climbs all the 14 peaks with, it's actually a rotating crew. Mm. Um, so it's not always the same people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do get introduced to a lot of the guys that are in his climbing crew and like what some of their strengths are, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but Nims Perja himself was the only one to actually climb all 14 of them. Mm. Got you. Um, and the other thing was they talk a lot about the funding Mm -hmm. of this whole project Mm -hmm. throughout the documentary Mm -hmm. and how it was really hard for him to get the money to do all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, so by the time he did the first climb, he actually only had 15% of the funds that he needed to complete the project. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was a combination of fundraising and mortgaging his house mm-hmm. um what was kind of it. like his return after 
like return on investment of investment? I don't know. From this documentary. I don't know. Gotcha. Um, I will say I follow him on Instagram now. <laughs> He's gained some followers. Yeah. Let's see. I'm like, me... is he giving like sponsorships? Is he like an ambassador for like Patagonia? Like what's kind of the deal? I'm looking him up. Well, he's got 2.1 million followers in a blue okay. check mark on okay. Instagram. So, you can buy that check mark now. <laughs> uh, only on Twitter can you buy the check mark. Not, you can buy it on Instagram. Not on Instagram. Yes, no. you can. They just changed it. I swear. No, that's. Mm-mm. I swear. Whatever. <laughs> um, let's see. He's a best-selling author. He is the. He's done wow. Okay, he was the first winter ascent of K two with no oxygen tank. Um, that wasn't for that wasn't a feat that was related to fourteen peaks because yeah. they did all fourteen peaks with oxygen. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's got his own foundation. He's a public figure at this point. Uh, he it's. I mean, a lot of people have watched fourteen peaks. Yeah. It's on Netflix. It's yeah. like a Netflix exclusive, so you know you got that Netflix money. Yeah. Got you. Uh, let's see. On IMDb, it's got 28,000 ratings, which seems like a lot. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm just hoping, because like in the documentary, he mentions, like, you know, this project is not just important for me, but, like, especially for my crew because this can, like, catapult their careers. Yes. And um, I just, like, wonder if, like, that is what came out of that or if it's, like, they continue to be kind of unrecognized. What I think was really interesting is that this movie was nominated for Outstanding Music Composition for a Documentary Series or Special. Mm-hmm. Uh, for an Emmy, mm-hmm. a primetime Emmy, and that's it. Mm. And Free Solo won an Oscar. Like, it got nominated for Best Documentary Feature for an Oscar. Yeah. It, um, it got nominated for a bajillion Emmys and won all of those categories. Um, I mean, I think there is a certain, like, craft to how Free Solo was filmed that's different from this yeah but i think in terms of like just pure story Mm -hmm. this has a bit more going for it i mean i feel like craft wise this documentary was way more intriguing because like i'm talking about like filmmaking craft i know that's what i'm saying i feel like this story was way more intriguing as well because like i think of obviously you have like the scenery like the the visuals of like the scenery and everything like that but then, like, there were, like, these animated elements that, That's like, true. Exp- like exp- basically highlight these, like, intense situations that he faced, like, when he was, like, falling from, the off- like, off the mountain, basically, and things like that. I don't know. I just felt like it was more to look at visually. I, I mean, I kind of disagree. Just, really? Yeah. I mean, I've seen Free Solo, like, five or six times at this point, and... The reason I've watched it so many times is because of how beautifully filmed it is. I mean, they just put... There's just so much craft put into, like, getting the shots that they got. Mm-hmm. Like, they had, to, they had to have people who were skilled with uh, filming and yeah. climbing in order to get those shots. I guess that's fair. And they had to do so much planning to get those shots. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, 14 Peaks is 
all filmed on GoPros. That's true. But I mean, it's like, it's a thing of privilege because it's like no, I know. having access to resources to be able to hire the people to get these wild shots versus like he like funded yeah. this on his own type of kind of th- I mean yeah Netflix it's just yeah. I mean it's it's given the feat that's being accomplished you can only yeah you can only film it in a certain way yeah like yeah I mean yeah they did a great job filming free solo but it's also like yeah they can do that in the summer there's not like yeah you can climb to the top of El Capitan like you can hike to the cl- uh, to the top of El Capitan um and then go down and get shots and like plan those shots yeah whereas like when you are climbing to the tallest peaks in the world <laughs> you can't just like take the yeah. chairlift to the top <laughs> of the mountain and then yeah. set up your crew to film you going up like no you got to put your GoPro on and you got to yeah. go do it yeah. you know so that makes it much better, in yeah. my opinion. It's just, just I, it just frustrates me. I mean, me. Free Solo won a bunch of like directing and cinematography, uh, nonfiction program Emmys. Yeah. So like that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. But I do wish Fourteen Peaks had gotten more recognition uh, on the award circuit. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. You are pouting right now. Yeah, because I'm just sad. It's just like, I want them to get all their flowers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, we are, tr- we are helping contribute to that by talking <laughs> about it on our podcast. I guess. It's Go watch 14 enough. Peaks on Netflix if you I haven't know. checked it out yet. It's just not enough. As we stare at the camera that's not there. I know. All right. Well, anything else you'd like to say? No. I think that's it. Was it a good pick? It was. Sweet. I enjoyed it. Tight. You wanted to watch it in the theater, and I was like, ooh, I will for sure fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. We watched it uh, We watched it on a small TV. We'll watch it again on the theater. A no, second. we won't. Maybe. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I just, I knew. I was like, you give me a beautiful scenery, I'm out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's do some assignments. Sounds good. Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I've been pretty clear about what my theme for this week is. Uh, oh. yeah. So, <laughs> um, by the time the next episode releases, it'll be a few days before the new Mission Impossible movie comes out. So, and I really want to see this new Mission Impossible. I always see every new Mission Impossible in a theater and you have never seen any of them and I have to like <laughs> drag you to go see this movie with me. So I'm like, all right, well, you got like, you can't just go into this movie completely blind. You have to watch at least a Mission Impossible just to know what's up. So I've been thinking this whole time, which Mission Impossible am I going to assign you? I've gone between so many. I was like, should I give her the first one? Should I give her the third one? The, maybe the fourth one because it's like fits into what the series kind of became mm-hmm. or the fifth one because it's like the director that now directs these movies his first one was the fifth one because mm-hmm. um, this new one that's coming out is the seventh one and I think I finally landed on giving you the sixth one which is the last one that came <laughs> out uh, because it I think it'll be as far as like movie watching experience 
if you've watched the sixth one, you'll be most up to speed going into watching the seventh one. And I think anything that doesn't feel clear to you watching the sixth one, I can easily explain to you. Okay. Yeah. I'm not looking forward to it. (laughs) I am looking forward to it. It It's a great movie. Actually, I'm I'm not going to, I mean, I will say the sixth one is not my favorite in the franchise. The fifth one is my favorite in the franchise. Yeah. I might watch the fifth one on my own. Go for it. I'm going to suck it up and be fully present and watch the movie. I'm Thanks. not a Tom Cruise fan, but I want to make you happy. And so I'll do it without any huffing and puffing. I appreciate that. I might huff and puff on my own <laughs> yeah. when you're not around. Go huff and puff on the side. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, since we've had some high stress content watching lately some high action content that we've been sharing. I decide to chill things out a little bit, give you something that's just kind of cute, kind of sweet. It is what it is. And I'm giving you The Intern with Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Solid. I, yeah, I've never seen that. I, uh, I really like that movie. I think I would enjoy it. Yeah. Okay. Something a bit mellow. Right on. Good pick. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we will see you all next week. Yeah. Next week, we will be discussing Mission Impossible, Fallout, and The Intern. Yep. It'll be very action-packed, I'm sure. (laughs) All right. We'll see you then. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I'm, I was about to wave to the camera. It's I know. Not there. I I, I, even though you moved the tripod, Bye. I was still looking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I just yeah. I just waved at nothing. I do that on the phone when I'm saying bye to someone, or like in a, if I'm in a Teams meeting, but my camera's off, and like we're like all like bye, and I wave, and I'm like my camera's off. I don't know why I waved. Oh. <laughs> my camera's always on, so I'm actually waving to people. Look at you. I only put my camera on if everybody else has their camera on, but if everyone has their camera off, I'm not putting mine on. Oh. Yeah, no, I mm. <laughs> I just do all meetings with camera on. Wow. Yeah. All right. Anyway, people don't care. Um, <laughs> we will see you next time. Hope yep. you enjoyed the episode. Yep. Maybe by next week, I'll have my Barbie outfit. I'll share with everybody. All right. There you go. <laughs> all right. All right. Bye. Bye.